you can use to, to keep your mind engaged, whether that's a handout or a PowerPoint or something like that. And um, I thought this might be a good way to do it. You get to write down and think you know, a little bit with your mind, write down what the main point is. So see if you can catch what the main point of tonight's message is and the three points. If you can do that, then um, you get a handshake. Okay, so that's, that's all I've got, sorry. I should have brought Smarties, you know, you'd be the smart one. And I didn't think that far ahead. Uh, Pastor Heller always has something like a Tic Tac or something. I, I didn't want to up that. So we'll, we'll just, we'll get a handshake if you, if you uh, successfully do that. So yeah, hopefully everybody has a handout. Um, you can fill that out if you like. Um, tonight we're going to talk about persistence, okay, as we're in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And uh, it's not so much a, a Christmas message. I didn't want to step on anything that Pastor Reed is going to be doing in the next three weeks. And uh, Pastor Cruz is doing a separate series for the children, so I didn't want to somehow trample on any of that. So this is a separate thing, but it does apply to the new year in a way. If you think about uh, New Year's resolutions and, and the need to press on in, in another year of, of life. So hopefully this will have some relevance as we think about the month ahead. When I was 11, um, seems like eons ago, at Cedar Crest Middle School, I had a sixth grade teacher who would end up becoming one of my favorite teachers I ever had. His name was Mr. Stout. Now, some of you in the room who went to Cedar Crest or might be familiar with some of the teachers, uh, he's, he's a famous one, I guess you could say, in the middle school realm of Cedar Crest. Uh, had taught there for many, many years. I had him, my brother had him, and he was famous, or infamous, depending on how you look at it, uh, for being very difficult. Okay, he was very fun, but very difficult. And so either, he was either your favorite teacher that you ever had, or maybe your least favorite teacher that you ever had because of his challenging nature. Um, there were a lot of things that I loved about his class because he made it very unique from all other classes. There were things that you clung onto that you would just remember, and I still remember to this day. Uh, he had us memorize uh, the, the Charge of the Light Brigade. Uh, he had us memorize the Greek alphabet. We had to do these maps. Um, and if you got one mistake on it, you have to scrap the whole thing and, and do it again. He would tell us stories. And there was this ongoing story that he would tell uh, day after day for the whole school year called The Creeper. And he told it to his class year after year. And I don't think he actually knew the end of the story because he never got to the end of the story. And I think that was on purpose. You keep asking, what's going to happen next? How's the story going to end? And conveniently, he never finished it. Uh, he took his class on a camping trip every year. Um, and even though he had been teaching for years and years and was up there in age by the time I had him, he still did this. And so there were a lot of things, despite his difficulty, you know, and the, the, the challenging nature of his class, there are these things that I'll always remember. And one of the things that he taught us was a saying from Calvin Coolidge, President of the United States, Calvin Coolidge, um, that goes this way. It says, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Now, I was referring to my notes here, but I'm pretty sure I could say that from memory. He had us recite it every single day. And while that's not necessarily a biblical statement, right, if we want to be very particular about it, we could say, God's sovereignty alone is omnipotent, right? I mean, in all things, God is the one who determines what happens in our life and, and what does not. And when we somehow think that we can control everything just by our persistence, then we've taken this saying off the rails and where it shouldn't go. 
But there is an element of truth to this statement as I've come to memorize it and think over it a little bit. From a human standpoint, as far as it depends on us, I think there is a lot of truth to President Coolidge's quote. For example, it isn't enough just to have a great idea. You must see it through. How many times have you had great goals, especially if you think back on whatever your New Year's resolutions were in 2018, at the beginning of the year, how many of you can remember what those were? Okay. Or how, how, how well did you do on them, right? And I'm not putting down New Year's resolutions. I make them all the time, and I'm intending to do so again this year. But for goals and resolutions and all these things that we do, it's easy for us to say, I'd like to do this, or I'd have this goal for my life to be able to do this. But then how often do we really see them through? It's persistence, isn't it? That is the key factor there. Um, now, as I said, I, I, I'm not trying to knock goals or anything like that, but um, you know, just because you make a statement doesn't mean it's going to be seen through. And just because you have talent, it doesn't mean anything if you don't consistently use it to achieve that thing that you're trying to go for. And while education is great, just as this quote says, the world is full of educated derelicts. Okay? So, you know, talent, education, all these things are wonderful, but unless we see it all through with persistence, um, then we're not really going to come to anything. So what makes the difference? Well, what separates those who are living the Christian life now, when we think of it this in a spiritual sense, from those who are not? Again, the answer, I think, is persistence, or put in another way, endurance. Endurance. And that is the focus of our passage tonight, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, again, um, from a Reformed standpoint, a biblical standpoint, we have to acknowledge that we are powerless, powerless to persist, to obey God consistently as we ought apart from God's grace. That much is very true. But as we look at this passage tonight, we have to acknowledge that the Bible talks about this issue of our you know, staying firm to the end from two different angles. Number one, it talks about it from God's point of view in that God is the only one that can sustain us. He is the one who's in control of everything. It's God's sovereignty that reigns over all. And yet on the other hand, we see certain passages of Scripture that speak more to our human responsibility. And try as you might, it's those two things that are very difficult to put together. And ask any theologian, and nobody has been able to put those two together in such an explainable way that you perfectly harmonize them and can figure them out. Okay, all we can do uh, in faith is say that both are true. God is sovereign. Nothing happens apart from his command. And yet, we are responsible with our own lives. We are responsible to be faithful to the very end, to be persistent, to be enduring in our faith. And so while we trust God and acknowledge that he only has that power over the direction of our lives, we acknowledge that we must actively work and play an active role in our sanctification, in our endurance. Okay, so however that works out together, we acknowledge both. So the book of Hebrews very much focuses on the human side of this equation. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, and I hope you have your Bible open in one lap or one, one leg, and, and you know, maybe on one page you have your, your uh, thing to, to write notes on. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that is set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, so you see both of those elements at work in this passage, right? On one hand, we're looking to Jesus, right, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And yet, from a grammatical standpoint, if you were to break this all down in Greek and do little diagramming and all that stuff, this is all one sentence. These two verses are all one sentence. And the main thrust of it, the central clause of all this is, let us run. Let us run. Everything else that appears like a verb here is actually, in the Greek, a participle. One of those words that ends in I-N-G, okay? So, um, you know, the the way your Bible might translate it uh, might be a little bit differently. um, But when it says, therefore, since we have, uh, we we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what's really going on there is it's saying, um, being surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, uh, laying aside every weight. See, hear those I-N-G words? Um, being surrounded, laying aside. Okay, then the main point, if you want to underline this in your Bibles, it is let us run. Let us run with endurance. Okay, and then looking to Jesus. That's that third one. So there's these ING words, these things that are supporting that main idea in the center. Okay? So there's this idea, this primary thrust in this passage, these two verses of let us run with endurance. And in other sections of the same letter, the writer says, let's say chapter 3, verse 12, you don't have to turn there, but it says, take care, brethren, that is, fight, run the race, lest there be any of you uh, that have an evil heart of unbelief, leading you to fall away from the living God. And in Hebrews 6, the writer even talks about the dangers of falling away from the faith. If you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, that's a very confusing passage because it talks about You know, if somebody has fallen away and they've tasted the goodness of God, they can't be restored. And we we think to ourselves, how's that possible? How can somebody fall away from the faith when we know that if God has saved them, uh, they're safe in his arms? No one can snatch a believer out of God's hand. Okay, that's a very challenging passage. But I think what's going on there is it's talking about it from a human standpoint. As far as it depends on us, don't fall away. You know, it's saying these things are important for us to consider that we have an active role to play. Though God is sovereign, though God is the one that holds on to us and things, we sometimes can't tell if somebody is saved or not, to be honest. We may have heard them make a profession of faith, but we don't know what's going on in their hearts. So maybe when somebody falls away, it could be that they never were saved in the first place. But not knowing somebody's heart, not knowing what's going on behind the scenes, we are just to press forward and make sure that we don't fall away. That is the angle that the author of Hebrews is coming from. Okay, so we have all these active verbs at play. When I say chapter 12 and chapter 3 and chapter 6, uh, that's what's going on. Uh, Further on in chapter 12, verses 12 through 14, the author says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone. You you hear all these these, uh, verbs, lift drooping hands, strengthen weak knees, Uh, Make straight, strive for peace, okay? In other words, run the race with endurance. So going back to our main passage tonight, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, the main point of this passage is this, that we are commanded to faithfully run the race of the Christian life to the very end. We are commanded to run the race of the Christian life to the very end. 
We cannot ever stop. We cannot ever grow tired and weary and say, you know what, I've done my part in life. Um, I, you know, if I look back on my past accomplishments, I think I've done enough. I can just kind of retire from this life and just sit back and wait until God calls me home. No, we can't do that. We can't do that as a church, and we can't do that as individuals. We can't rest on our decision to follow Christ any number of years ago, whenever that was, and say, therefore, my work is done. We cannot fall into sin or unwise habits saying, well, I'm saved anyway. What does it matter? No, on the contrary, we must think of the Christian life as a marathon race. We cannot stop. We must continue to endure. Even if we're tired, stopping in the middle of the race is not an option. So we must do so until the end. Now, the title that I wrote down for myself, I wanted to come up with a title. Of course, I don't have it on the screen, and it's not in a bulletin anywhere, so this doesn't ultimately matter. Uh, I called it, for myself at least, The Secret to Endurance. And so we know that we're supposed to do endure. Okay, we got that much across so far. But the question is how? How do we endure? How do you endure through the Christian life when life can be so long? When life can be filled with difficulty and suffering? when the trials in life don't seem to end, or when we feel just like giving up. You know, I don't know how you're doing in this particular December, this last month of the year. Maybe you're like, you're celebrating, man. You're, you're coming to the end of the finish line here for this particular year, and you're cheering. You're excited, right? You're, December's here. Christmas season's here. You're excited just to be a part of it. And maybe you were just like dragging yourself along. Maybe you're crawling on the ground, and you're like, this, this year has beat me up. I am done with 2018. I remember people saying that about last year. They're like, 2017 can go away, and we can just never talk about it again. On with the new year. I'm glad for a new one. So I don't know which category you fall into tonight, but our passage here tells us we need to continue on. And it doesn't just say that, you know, continue on, strive, keep going, running, without giving us any help, right? The remainder of this passage is going to tell us the how. How do you do that? How do you keep going when you don't have any energy? And this is how you do it. We are to endure by three things. Number one, remembering the examples of godly Christians who have gone before us. We remember the examples of godly Christians who have gone before us. And I'm going to state these all again, so uh, don't worry if you don't catch all these. Number two, we cast aside everything that hinders us in our quest for holiness. Okay, we cast aside anything that might trip us up, slow us down, that kind of thing. And number three, we fix our eyes on Jesus for the strength to finish well. You see, verses one and two, as I already said, are just one sentence, right? And the main thrust of it is run the race with endurance. That's the main verb for this whole thing. Everything else is supporting that main idea, and that's where I got those three points, actually, because all of those are going to serve to tell us how. How do you do that? All right, so um, really, if we were to retranslate this, the text should be translated something like this. Having a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, laying aside every weight that e easily ensnares us, here's the main idea, let us run with endurance, with the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finishes, finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So those are the three points for the passage tonight. Let's go through them one at a time, all right? And again, I'll try and restate these in case you missed them. Point number one, we endure by remembering godly Christians who have gone before us. We remember godly Christians who have gone before us. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. <clears throat> now, um, as we've said twice, three times already, main point of this is let us run with endurance. Everything else just supports it. So when it says having a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, focus just in on that part. That's point one here. And it's all being introduced by this word therefore. You see that very beginning of the, the verse it says therefore, which ties it to everything that came before this. Right? If you're familiar with any part of the book of Hebrews, you're probably familiar with the previous chapter, which is Hebrews chapter 11, the heroes of the faith. I've heard many different men talk about that passage, and I believe we even had a Sunday school class taught by different people who explored those different individuals talked about in Hebrews 11. Okay? So it's a famous chapter. It mentions people such as David, Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Samson, the prophets, many others. And all these individuals demonstrated their faith in some way or another as they lived their lives. Now, Hebrews 11 tells us that they did some amazing things through faith. For example, in verse 33 and 34, this is just a few verses before our passage tonight, 11, 33 through 34, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. But it also tells us something else about these people, what they all have in common. They also endured a great amount of hardship. It says in verse 36 and 37, others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, stoned. they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And there's a third thing that they all have in common. So they did some amazing things. They were persecuted. Here's the third thing. Hebrews 11.39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. They did not receive what was promised. They never lived to see the coming of Jesus Christ. And they didn't get to come and see him come again at his second coming for all these things being wrapped up. They did not receive what was promised. So here it's saying we have this great cloud of witnesses, right, in chapter 12, verse 1, that's being talked about from chapter 11. And they're so numerous, they're called a cloud. It's like if you've ever seen a, you know, a flock of birds or, or geese or something like that that are just you know, in the evening sky and they're so grouped together that they look like a cloud. They just appear as one giant mass. You know, back in Bible times in the Old Testament context, something that would have came to their mind would be a locust swarm. And we don't see that very often, thankfully, because it's devastating. I'm glad we don't. But in their time, that was a real danger that a, a swarm of locusts could just come along like a cloud and just devour the whole land. A terrifying sight, because there's nothing you can do to stop it. But here it's saying those individuals are like a cloud. There's so many. There's thousands of them. When you think about all the believers that have gone before us and died and are now at rest, we are surrounded by that cloud of witnesses. Uh, it says that we're surrounded by them, and, and, and um, it's, it's calling them here witnesses, right? This cloud, they're called witnesses. What does that mean? Well, number one, uh, people would say that uh, perhaps it means that they are witnessing what, what's going on here on earth. They are witnessing us. And that, that might be possible. Um, 
If you think about passages such as uh, the rich man and Lazarus, right? There seems to be some sort of knowledge as that conversation goes on between those two. And as, as they're talking, it seems like they know what's going on down on earth. I don't know, maybe in, in a limited sense. Um, there's a passage in Revelation 6 where uh, the saints cry out in a loud voice, How long, O Lord, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? There's a sense in which the dead saints seem to know that Christ hasn't come back yet, that there's still a lot of wickedness on the earth. Does that mean that Moses and Elijah can see us right now? I don't know. I don't know if I can go that far, right? There's another way we could understand this word witnesses, though. And that is not that necessarily they're looking at us, they're witnessing us, but that they were witnesses for Jesus Christ while they lived on earth. And uh, I think that probably is the the bigger uh, thrust here. Uh, One commentary says this, the author's focus is on the importance of current believers learning from those who have gone before, not on those who have gone before watching current believers. Or as another one put it, it's what we see in them not what they see in us. That is the author's main point here. So I think what they're, what's happening here is they're, calling, they're called witnesses, mostly because these individuals have been a strong witness for Christ in their lives. So that leads to this next question. How does the fact that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses motivate us to press on and run this race with endurance? A few ways. We can remember that all these individuals in Hebrews 11 died before they ever received the things that were promised. We already said that in Hebrews 11.39. Yet, we know something about them all. They held on through faith. For us, we may get to this place in our life where a certain trial in our lives makes us wonder, where is God, right? This has been going on an awfully long time, God. Where are you? It doesn't seem like my prayers are being answered. It seems like I'm talking to the wall. Where is God in all of this? When that happens, one thing we can do, among other things, is look back to the Old Testament saints and realize that all of these individuals died before they ever saw God's promises fulfilled as well. Yet, we know that they held on by faith. For the Old Testament saints, they never even got to see the birth of Christ. But they believed. And you know what? He came. He came. So too we can hold on as well. And when you think back about all these individuals that are described in Hebrews chapter 11, that's encouraging to me, that all these individuals died before they ever saw any of that happen, yet they held on. We can too. Another way that we can uh, look at these saints for encouragement to press on is that we look back on some of these characters in Hebrews 11 and we realize that these people weren't perfect at all, right? We call them the heroes of the faith, But if you study them, even just a little bit, you realize that they had just as many flaws as they had positive things, in some cases more so, right? Um, You think of Samson. He's in the list. Always baffled me. He had a rage issue, right? He set tails of foxes on fire and let them loose to burn down a a field and killed men and went nuts, okay? We we think of Jephthah. He's, He's somebody who's listed by name. And what sticks out about his story, if you know anything about him, is that he made a vow to offer whatever walked through his door as a sacrifice. And it ended up being his daughter. And you think, how is an individual like this mentioned as a hero of the faith? Why is he included? 
Well, we realize these men, though they had faith, they certainly weren't perfect. They were failures in many ways, and yet they finished. We're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, and we're not looking up to them saying, wow, I could never, I could never achieve that. I, I couldn't possibly be like those individuals. And we, we look deep in their lives and realize, wow, these men are, and women are flawed just like I am. And yet, God granted them faith, and they finished. I listened to John Piper's sermon on the same passage. And don't worry, this is not John Piper's sermon. I didn't copy and paste it tonight. But I, I really was helped a lot by it. I loved what he said. And I think it was a sermon he preached back in 1991, I think it was. And he had it all archived on his website. But there was a good quote that I found from this in the same passage. And he said this, We look and we see examples of faith and perseverance under every imaginable circumstance. There's David, who committed adultery and murder, and he finished. There's John the Baptist, who had a weird personality, and he finished. There's John Mark, the quitter, and he finished. There's Mary the prostitute, and she finished. And William Carey, the plotter, and he finished. And Jonathan Edwards, who got kicked out of his own church, and he finished. And Job, who suffered so much, and he finished. And Stephen, who was hated and stoned, and he finished. And Mary Slessor, and Amy Carmichael, and St. Paul, who served as single people their entire lives, and they finished. And that's encouraging to me. You know, I, I think of those names, and, and we don't necessarily have to be limited just by these people who are in Hebrews 11, right? When we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that includes anybody who has lived the Christian faith and has died and is now awaiting that coming of Jesus Christ. Think of some of the people in our own congregation that we lost this year. Think of Hershey Marks, Francis Arnick, Bruce Althouse Sr., Shirley Pence, Ruby Pfister, Albert Labadon, and many others that I'm sure I'm forgetting. They did not always have it easy, but they finished. Every one of those individuals I mentioned tonight, they have finished. They are part of this cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. And that's pretty cool. They didn't always have it easy, but they finished. And they are now among that cloud that Hebrews speaks of here. The idea behind this verse is that all of them were able to finish the race well by that same power and faith that got them through, and, and by that same faith we can as well. It's the first secret to enduring our own race of the Christian life. Point number two, point number two, we endure by casting aside anything that hinders us in this quest for holiness. Hebrews 12.1 says again, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run this race with endurance. This whole passage is a race metaphor, of course. You've figured that out. And races would have been very familiar to the audience in the book of Hebrews. I have a whole bunch of details. I'm just going to skip over for the sake of time. But you think of the Olympic Games, right? Um, very much a Greek thing. And the, the New Testament was written in Greek. There was a lot of Greek influence. They're called Hellenistic Jews because that word Hellenist relates to Greek culture. That culture stuck with them even though they were eventually taken over by the Romans, okay? So these games, these competitions, the Olympics, all those things continued. So when, Paul, uh, not Paul, sorry, the, the writer of, of Hebrews here, uh, he's unnamed, um, mentions this as a race, it's something that's familiar to them all. Herod the Great built a Colosseum in Jerusalem so that these races were very much nearby. 
There were some rabbis that prior to Jesus' time who were known to like cheer on these races. Uh, it, was, it was a common thing, okay? So here, we are told it's a race, and we're told that our second uh, trick here, or not a trick, but a uh, um, thing to help us get through this race is by casting off every weight and every sin, okay? So what's the significance of that? Well, there are two things. They're listed as two separate things. It's saying every weight and every sin, which means that, you know, the weights, whatever they might be, aren't always necessarily sin. And then there are other things in our life that are absolutely always sin that we might have to cast off. So what does that mean? Well, he's saying that if we want to live the Christian life faithfully, there might be some things that are weights in our life, things that aren't necessarily evil. God wouldn't necessarily call them sin, but they're not necessarily helpful to us either right? There are things that distract us from what our main goal in life might be. That could be hobbies, right? Something that you enjoy doing that just sucks up your time when really we should be working on our spiritual life, growing in grace, growing in faith, those kind of things, praying, reading our Bible, spending time in uh, the congregation with believers, that kind of thing. But, you know, maybe this hobby of ours, that, that pulls us away and takes up our time in ways that aren't necessarily helpful. Maybe it's our phone, right? Maybe it's a computer. Maybe it's Facebook. Maybe it's anything, right? And the point isn't just to find one and say, like, oh, yeah, those people on Facebook, they, they ruin their lives and take up all this time, right? We all have our weights, whatever they might be. So while it's easy to think of something that might not be a struggle for you, there might be something that is very much something that takes up your time and is a weight and drags you down. Imagine if you're a runner and you've got weights tied to you. It doesn't stop you from finishing, but it certainly slows you down. It certainly slows you down. And then in addition to that, it says weights and sins. So there's certain sins in our life that can threaten to just stop our race altogether, right? It says so easily entangles us. You think about something that would trip a runner up, right, that gets tangled around your legs. That's a, taking it a step further, right? Whether that's a sin of, of anger or selfishness or lust or pride or whatever the case may be, that can seriously damage your race as a Christian. And so he's saying, what do you have to do to endure? Number one, if you're feeling discouraged, look at that cloud of witnesses that's gone before us. Be encouraged by that. But secondly, cast off anything that's making your life worse, right? Life is hard enough, but we can make it far harder on ourselves when we have weights and we have sins and things that are tying us down, making that race all the more difficult. You can't finish well and hold on to these things. That's the main idea. Press on, Philippians 3.14 says, in this, the same light, I press on toward the goal of the prize for the upward call in Christ Jesus. So we do all these things because life is a long race. Okay? It's not just a short dash. right? It's not just the 100 meter. This is a marathon that we're talking about. That's what the author has in mind here. And so we're going to need to be conscious of everything that we do, whether it's, you know, just like in a real race, if you're, your breathing has to be maintained at a certain, and, and your, your arm movements and things, and, and you have to be careful of the terrain. I'm just taking all this stuff from Pastor Cruz. I asked him because I don't know anything about running. So I said, I, all these things are not original to me. I, I asked him earlier, I said, what does a race involve? Because I don't run and I never do anything besides walking to my car. So, um, I'm just taking this on faith as all this is true. Um, if you're running long distance, so I've heard, you've got to keep all these things in mind, right? And so it is with our life as a Christian. <clears throat> cast off the weights. Cast off the sins. Point number three. Point number three. We endure 
by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. That's the last point it says. So we remember the cloud of witness, witnesses that have gone before us. We cast off weights and sins that pull us down, and we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Look at verse 2 in Hebrews 12. It says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the ESV says, looking to Jesus. I actually like the NIV and the NAS a little bit better. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That just seems to be more of a runner-type thing, right? Like you're, you're getting tired, but you can see the goal ahead. The finish line is within sight. You are fixing your eyes on that. That's what you're focusing your attention on. <clears throat> this connects very well with our previous point because to fix our eyes on Jesus also implies that we're looking away from all those other weights and things that we're trying to get away from, the things that trip us up. So we keep our eyes on the goal. We look ahead to him. Why do we look to him? Well, verse 2 gives us three reasons. Number one, he's the founder of our faith. Number two, he's the perfecter of our faith. And number three, he is the ultimate example of our faith to follow. So let's look at these just briefly. He's a founder of our faith. That means he's the one who caused us to be qualified to run this race in the first place. He is the one who first gave us faith. Our race began with him. Hebrews 5.9 says, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who believe him or obey him. Number two, he is the perfecter of our faith. He's the only one who is able to help us through the race and ultimately to get us to the finish line. One of my favorite verses uh, in the Bible is Philippians 1.6, which says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I cling to that promise every day because I know myself. I am deeply aware of my own failures and ways I have failed in the past, and I think over and over again, if it depended on me, God could have cast me aside a long time ago. There is no reason here why I should be standing in front of you today. Not if it depended upon me. No way. Okay? But this promise holds true. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm not even just talking about before I became a Christian, but even since I've become a Christian. There are plenty of times where I've messed up and not lived the way that I ought to. And yet God keeps bringing me back to this, that for all those times that I have messed up and failed him and times where I feel like I shouldn't even be here, no, God is not done with me yet. God is not done with you yet. He who began a good work in you will complete it, bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He is our author. He is the perfecter of our faith. And thirdly, he is the example of our faith that we follow. He looked to the joy that was set before him. You see that in the text despising the shame, right? So two things there. He, he was focused on the joy that lies ahead, and we should do the same. We should be thinking about what the end of Revelation talks about, chapter 21, where we think of the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and new earth. That should motivate us like it does uh, Jesus in this passage. He endured the cross even though it meant shame, right? Just because he endured all this pain doesn't mean that he loved it all, right? He, he, he hated it. He hated the shame. He hated being on the cross in a certain sense, he didn't enjoy it. So when we say we endure all these things with joy, that doesn't mean we're happy all the time and we have this fake smile all the time as we're going through something hard. No, even Jesus despised that shame that came with it. 
Number three, finished well so that now he's been rewarded, seated at the hand of God, it says. All right. So all those things in that last part are talking about Jesus as our example that we follow. Um, and so as we think about our goal in life, 1 John 2 says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk the same way in which he walked. And this shows how we should do that. So our goal should be to live as Jesus lived. We can learn from all of these things. This joy that was set before him, I already said, we can look ahead. When we are discouraged, when we're talking about enduring, running this uh, race of the Christian life and saying, I don't think I can do this anymore. Pastor Dave, it's, it's too much. This year has been too hard. Another thing we can do, in addition to remembering the saints that have gone before, in addition to throwing aside all the weights, in addition to all that, we can say, you know what? I have got a glorious home that's awaiting me that God has promised that he is never going to take away. That's my joy. That's the joy that motivates me, that spurs me onward, and all these other things. So here's our challenge tonight. I don't know where you are in life or how you're doing. I don't know if you're excited and full of energy, as I said in the beginning, or if you're just tired and about to give up. But God's saying to us in this passage, no matter where you fall on that spectrum, whatever age you are at, whatever stage of life you're in, Run the race with endurance. If you're weary from trial or difficulty, don't give up. It's my encouragement to you tonight. Don't give up. And if you've been doing well and you're just tempted to coast, maybe you're saying, hey, everything's been fine. I haven't really been going through a trial, but life is just great and I've got everything I need. And then, then the danger is a little different one. You're just tempted to coast just to kind of keep doing, you know, staying at this level, not growing, not doing anything, just staying level. If that's you, don't stop. Don't give up in your Christian life. Give it all. Run intentionally. Remember the reason you were created, to become like Christ, to bring him glory. And as we get close to the end of the year and we look back on these 12 months, perhaps even looking ahead to goals of a new year, I'd ask that you would evaluate very seriously where you're at. Take some time to refocus. And do all this by first remembering those who have gone before you. Be inspired by their lives. I, I, really, I really am encouraged when I think about some of those who have already gone before us, in addition to these saints that are listed here. Um, and if you've been hindered this year by certain hobbies or interests or other things that might even be sinful, cast them aside. And finally, if you're getting tired, fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. If life has been a struggle, think of this analogy of a runner. When the finish line is getting closer, when you're starting to feel the pain of running, what do you do? You fix your eyes on the finish line that is ahead. You focus all of your attention on that. You press on because you know that there is a finish line ahead. The prize that lies ahead for us who run faithfully is to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do ask that you would help each one gathered here tonight, whether we are in the midst of a difficult battle and a difficult trial, I pray that you would strengthen weak knees, that you would supply strength when we feel that we have none. And for those, God, who are in this room feeling quite good about how their year is going and, and feeling pretty, pretty awesome, um, I pray, Lord, that they wouldn't just coast, that they wouldn't just take this time just to stop practicing and growing as a Christian. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we would just continue to strive for that goal, 
And God, we know that in all these things we've talked about, God, without your power, it is impossible. Your grace is the thing that ties it all together. We rely upon that. And may we first in the morning get up and ask for your grace for the strength to do any of this. But God, as much as it depends on us, God, may we press on with all of our strength to live as you have commanded us to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.